Samoa Wilson and Jim Queskin together from the album I Just Want to Be Horizontal. Kitchen Man, Dr. Ross from Boogie Disease. We heard Jukebox Boogie Take Two, Memphis Boogie. And Bruce Hornsby gave us No Limits from his Non-Secure Connection album from just a couple of years back. And we heard from Galactic out of New Orleans featuring J.J. Gray from North Florida. Higher and higher from Into the Deep. Greg McVicker with you. It's Undercurrents. I think our favorite album these days, and one that I think is, personally think is Grammy-bound, Ben Harper's latest coming up in just a minute. You are listening to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, K282BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM. Donald Altman, and welcome to Pathways, where you are invited to join us for a visit with leaders in personal and cultural transformation. Emotional eating is well known in our culture. The American Psychological Association Survey of Stress in America, for example, shows that over 67% of individuals experience either a physical or psychological symptom of stress, and over one-third of those persons eat in unhealthy ways. Then there's the constant media focus on physical beauty and weight loss. And it's not just women who experience this, men too are being exposed to a greater demand for physical beauty through various diets, skincare, makeup, and even aesthetic workouts. Now there's nothing wrong with taking care of yourself, but when you end up obsessing over what you eat, when you're constantly comparing yourself to others, 
the result can sometimes produce a devastating emotional and physical toll. To some extent, we all struggle with finding balance around food. And to help us explore the subject of how to find peace and moderation with eating and body image is Dr. Jean Christeller, a clinical and research psychologist who has worked for over 30 years in the areas of obesity, eating disorders, and the therapeutic value of meditation with over 30 publications in these areas. She is the co-founder and past president of the Center for Mindful Eating, as well as the developer of Mindfulness-Based Eating Awareness Training, a clinically and research-based program. Jean conducts workshops on mindful eating nationally and internationally. Her work has been featured in Self Magazine, Martha Stewart's Healthy Living, Red Book, and Women's Health, and she's the author of the book, The Joy of Half a Cookie, Using Mindfulness to Lose Weight and End the Struggle with Food. Jean's meditation experience and knowledge is extensive and includes transcendental meditation, Zen practice while living in Japan, yoga practice with the Himalayan Institute, biofeedback and insight meditation as practiced in the Vipassana tradition of Buddhism. Her mindfulness meditation practice began when she joined the faculty at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. There, she sat in with one of John Kabat-Zinn's eight-week mindfulness-based stress reductions programs and worked with him on research. Her training convinced her of the power of helping people connect more fully with their physical and mental experiences in a neutral, explorative, and self-accepting way. For the past 20 years, Jean has been leading sitting groups in Terre Haute, Indiana, in the Vipassana tradition. Well, it's an honor and a pleasure to have Jean Christeller here with us today. Hello, Jean, and welcome to the Pathways Show. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much, Donald. Thank you for that introduction, <laughs> and I'm delighted to be able to be part of this. Well, well thank you. Uh, mindful eating is something that maybe a lot of people don't know a lot about. We hear about mindfulness a lot, and I thought it might be helpful to share a little of your own personal story about maybe your struggles with food, and you mentioned that in your book, The Joy of Half a Cookie. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little about that and how that led you into working in mindful eating. Well, thank you. Um, yes, I think like many people, I began struggling uh, when I was still back in high school and, you know, no, I should be on a diet. No, I really want mm. those cookies. <laughs> and going back and forth and really finding myself going to the food that was hidden in the back of the cupboard by my mother, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> eating half the box instead of the three <laughs> that might have been fine. Um, and that that continued, that continued actually for mm -hmm. quite a while. And this struggle between, I want this food, I shouldn't have it, um, gradually putting on weight as you're telling yourself you should be thinner, and that mm. that was something that was just part of every day. It really became difficult. Um, when I began, when I discovered the, the experience of using meditation as a way to help myself, yes, to calm stress, but also simply go to a different place, to go to a place mm. of open awareness, um, to go to a place of appreciation for more going on in my own experience and self than just the, the challenging 
thoughts running through my head, that that was a that was the beginning of that path of growth. And so, so that in a way overcame that those two voices. I you know I want that uh, cookie. I shouldn't eat this. And and so uh, having that experience of witnessing well, maybe. I wish it had been quite that simple. <laughs> it took it took actually more understanding of my own relation to to my mind, to my body, mm. to the foods that I liked or didn't like. And it grew slowly as I began my own work as uh, moving into um, some some early research still as a graduate student. Um, I will say that I had the privilege to work with some extraordinary people. I did my doctoral work at Yale University and there were two people there who I wanna, I wanna really both give them, acknowledge them, but also to, to provide some foundation for how powerful it is to understand how we relate to our experiences of food, our experiences mm -hmm. of eating. So on the one hand, I worked with, um, I went there to work with someone named Gary Schwartz, who was really one of the early, early investigators in what we would call mind-body work. What is the process of mm -hmm. self-regulation? How do you tune into your body? We were putting electrodes on people to look at heart rate and muscle tension. <laughs> well, you yeah. can't put any electrodes on yourself to measure taste or to measure fullness or to measure hunger. Mm. And so that meant there had to be a different path to that. And I was also working with an extraordinary woman, Dr. Judith Roden, who was looking at the tension between all of the outside pressures we have to eat more or eat less mm. if you're in this dieting phase, to um, the social pressures that everybody's susceptible. The, the message you have to clean your plate. Well, you're not hungry anymore, but you have to clear your plate. Well, I was a member of that club growing up. <laughs> I think almost everyone yeah. I've ever worked with, including myself, was, has been a member of that club. And the, that message that message is strong. It's also like, oh, okay, I have to clear my plate, then I better finish all of this. Um, mm -hmm. And the other piece of work that was going on with someone working with her professionally there was a woman named Linda Bartership, who was doing some of the early work on taste. And it, that would seem like, really, don't we know everything about taste? Well, Linda was doing these little, these very sophisticated but focused experiments where she would find that if you put different quality levels of sweetened water in front of people, if they were hungrier, and these were people not necessarily with any eating issues, if they were hungrier, they said that the one they liked the best was the much more intensely sweetened water. Yeah. And people who were less hungry didn't like that anymore. They wanted the just slight amount of sugar in the water. That's what tasted best to them. Mm. And I started thinking, wait a minute, that's really interesting. We can turn tune into these different flavors. We can learn to appreciate different qualities of food 
And that was the other part of what I started working with. How, how much does, uh, you, you talk about sugar, and uh, it seems like so many people have uh, a sugar craving or a sugar addiction, and sugar is in so many of our foods. How can we ever hope to manage that? Well, when I was, what I was just describing, in a sense, was a scientific version of mindful tasting. Mm. having just these little tiny bits of food experience in our um, in our exper- in our mouth and saying oh I like this I don't like mm. that not large amounts and as I've begun I get this question often you know you you encourage people to have small amounts of sweets isn't that a problem don't these people, aren't these people already addicted to sugar and to fat? Mm-hmm. And guess what? <laughs> <laughs> By the definitions we use, once I start eating this, I can't stop. Yes. But what I found was when I really asked people to taste them slowly, mindfully, mm-hmm. to really experience what they were having, they didn't have a problem with it. They, they simply said, you know, I think I've had enough. Now, that took a little bit more than just one or two times of doing this, but it was very powerful. I think almost everyone who I've both helped work with the mindful eating or who's been in touch with me and shared their experience, that what when they bring that quality of really focusing in without the struggle, without, I, I shouldn't have this. Oh, I want it. I shouldn't have her. That's yeah. the addictive point. Mm. So this is just kind of getting very curious and it's a different way of tasting is what you're describing here. Yes, very much so. And so, so me, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was wondering it, then if, uh, well, then maybe that would be a nice lead in actually to maybe really defining mindful eating is it all about the taste is there are there other aspects to it the taste is taste and tuning into that's very core but the other side of it is also tuning into physical hunger tuning in Mm -hmm. to physical fullness we tend to as i said you can't put biofeedback electrodes on on Mm -hmm. our um, parts of our body that are tuned to hunger and but when you stop when you say how hungry am i am i really starving or maybe not hungry at all and i just i saw this commercial about um Mm. cookies and i want a cookie uh but i just had dinner and i'm not really hungry and in fact i had some cookies already that's not physical hunger um (laughs) Oh, so so the distinction between uh, emotionally wanting something and the actual hunger sensation in the body, physical hunger. So people learn to distinguish between those two. Yes, and it's it's not that always that straightforward. You know, if you get hungry, you know sometimes your your stomach will gurgle and then you get distracted and you do something else, and that's that's fine. The hunger, but you. 
definitely we can tune into how physically hungry we are. And again, I've worked with people where they're like, I, I don't know when I'm hungry. And okay, well, let's take a couple of weeks and just tune into that. Maybe let a little more time go between lunch and when you breakfast and when you would usually eat lunch. How do you feel if you have breakfast uh, at seven and it's one instead of 1130? Mm. How are you feeling? Guess what? That is probably physical hunger. Start yeah. tuning into that. You know, you have a chapter in uh, your book, The Joy of Half a Cookie, called Calories, Turning Off the Panic Button. And um, it, a lot of people count their calories. Is there a problem with, with that? And, and Well, I make the distinction between counting your calories and sort of saying, okay, I'm up to uh, X number and I can only have 50 more today. And tuning into your calories. In other words, paying attention to what you're what I could call your food energy that you're putting in your body. Mm. One, of, one of the things I, I ask if I'm talking about this like now is um, would you go into a store, say you're on a budget, is it, you know, we're all on budgets, or most of us. I, mm -hmm. I, I put the question out, are you on a budget to the people listening here? Yes. Would you go into a store that didn't put price tags on anything mm. and just pick out what you wanted, take it up to the cash register and like go, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> let, let me put back half of it. We, we, we wouldn't do we wouldn't Yeah, that, do that. Could be, that could be dangerous. <laughs> yes, exactly. So the quality of attention that I invite people to pay to what they're planning to eat is not this obsessive kind of, I've got to count every calorie that goes in, that goes in my mouth, but I need to have some idea of what I'm doing. So I've had people tell me that they're really actually surprised at how few calories, some of the things they thought mm. were really sort of dangerous had. Like, um, like a piece, like a kind of, um, like a, a, a dip, a hummus spread that they bought mm -hmm. in the supermarket, and they, but they were oh, that's you know that's a little that's a little iffy, uh, and then they look at it and they say one tablespoon only has forty calories, and that's going to go on three or four crackers, which if I look at it only have ten, and suddenly you know that's that's actually not a bad amount of food to be taking in. Um, another example I like is that um, again, I'm if we if we're um, talking about sweets, mm -hmm. um, I like to put a little bit of um, whipped cream on, <laughs> maybe with a little yogurt with my fruit, and I was surprised to find out how few calories is in those containers of whipped cream because I'm not going to make a whole big thing of whipped cream just to get a little taste of it. Yeah, so there's what I'm getting here is a sense of moderation. Yes. Right. Yes, thank you. Definitely that moderation. The also um 
what we found with what has been found with research is that people who don't struggle with eating, don't struggle with food, actually their amount of calories they eat from day to day vary quite a bit, but it comes out in balance. I like mm. to use that word balance. So one day you've gone to a birthday party and you've had you know, a nice slice of cake with some ice cream. Well, surprisingly, actually the effect of that may last for another day and the next day you just, you're not as hungry and you mm. don't eat as much. And that's, um, that's cool. Well, um, that's balancing it out. It's not like you have, you're restricting yourself, but you're, uh, there's a sense of, oh, I had, a, I had this, so maybe cut back on that the next day. But not rigid, not, mm. not restricted. Right. Um, you know, I, maybe I, think I want, of, go ahead. Well, I think about eating as uh, we get habits with anything. It seems like eating can be very entrenched as a habit. Uh, so can mindful eating become a good habit? Is that what one of the goals of what you're working Abs with? Yeah, absolutely. You're just bringing, your, bringing this quality of mind. Mm. to your food choices, to your experience, to saying, well, you know, I really want to have that feeling of fullness, but I don't want to eat two or three servings worth of that food. And I need a, I want a snack. Well, how about some popcorn? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So somebody and, could have like a backup plan. Yeah, or, you, yeah, you can play, as I like to say, play with your food. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Meta metaphorically. Play with your food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Explore it. Mm. Um, have fun with it. Um, well, that's a great switch. I mean, turning from fighting with or struggling with food into having a, a playful relationship with it and not seeing it as an adversary, but something you... you need and can honor as part of your life yes and it those habits on the other hand have taken a long time to get laid down mm -hmm. and they can take quite a while to shift away but again one of the things i found with using mindfulness versus going on another diet or just saying okay i'm going to break this habit um is that it can happen actually really quite quickly. Mm. We, one of the things we know about mindfulness is that it is actually engaging what I call the wise mind. Oh, and, that's wonderful. Yeah, and that's I use that a lot also when I talk about it. Yeah, could you expand on that a little bit about using the wise mind as a, yeah. as a, as a helper maybe in, in how you eat? Well, in a sense, um, I've already been talking about that, that you can have, um, you can have, bring wisdom, inner wisdom. Um, I think you've probably talked about already how the wisdom in the mind, the parts of the mind that are wise, that are not embedded in those, all of those layers of complex habits that have been there maybe since we were three years old mm, mm -hmm. um those are they're there they help us out a lot we have to have that part of our mind but that part of our mind that's up here 
the frontal cortex, the the And that's where the, behind the forehead area? Yes, the prefrontal cortex is allows for more engaging of that balance, of that complexity, of having an awareness um, that I will have people after they've done, say, our practice with eating a piece, several pieces of a chocolate cookie, a week or two later saying, I, I actually really don't want to finish the whole candy bar. I'm not mm. doing it because I know I shouldn't, but because I don't want to. It, it's, I'm not hungry enough. It's not actually now that I taste this lower quality chocolate isn't really doing it for me. And maybe I'll have a little piece and really let myself enjoy it as much as possible. But I don't, I don't want the rest of it. Yeah. How, how important is it for someone uh, to have a supportive person, let's say in your household, uh, as opposed to somebody maybe who's a saboteur who, oh, maybe doesn't like it that you're, you know, eating uh, more mindfully and they want to continue eating <laughs> the way they've been eating. Is, is that well, something you explore? That's a tricky, that is a challenging thing. Mm. That, that can happen. Um, one of the things that we've done with with people who um, uh, have uh, maybe even working with children is shifting their mm. um, communications from no, you can't have that or that's bad for you or to are you still hungry? Are you still tasting it? Mm. Have you gotten full enough? A different quality of communication. Um, and applying what they're doing for themselves just in their communication with others. Uh, something that commonly happens is someone will say, well, I'm visiting my aunt, my grandmother, my best friend, and they serve these huge meals, and they really want me to take seconds and maybe thirds and not only clean my plate, but clean the serving bowls, and just practicing saying, this is absolutely fab fabulous. This is so good, but I'm really full now. And can I take some home with me? <laughs> can I have the recipe? Well, I, yeah, I like that. I like changing the conversation and bringing it into our families in a, in a beneficial, hopeful way. I was wondering, Jean, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but is there, if you were going to give someone some advice as to one thing that they could do today that would help put them on the path of, uh, I, mean, I think we've talked about a lot of ideas, but one thing maybe that they could do that would help them put them on the path of eating more mindfully. Well, this will come back to how do we use mindfulness in the moment. Mm -hmm. Just stop, breathe for a moment, two or three breaths. Okay. How hungry am I? What do I really want? Mm. Let myself enjoy this bite for bite. And how do I know when I've had enough? Maybe, maybe with each with this food, it's the taste has gone down, 
maybe with another with the meal it's that i am starting to feel a little uncomfortable and mm -hmm. that will bring a sense again that sense of balance that sense of quality that sense of awareness that can really start to shift things wow that's beautiful um, and I could feel myself calming down as you were kind of leading us through what kind of felt like a meditation there. And that's something you would do before you were preparing to eat, for example? Yeah. Yes. You can tune. Yeah. yeah tuning into my, how full am I? What, a, what is my body asking for? Or something simpler. You're, you are hungry. You go to the snack machine down the aisle from your office and instead of just grabbing the first mm. thing that looks, you stop and you think, what is really appealing to me today? Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd love to thank you, Gene, and I'd love to talk longer, but there's a lot more we could explore, but we've run out of time. Uh, let's be sure to tell our listeners about your website, uh, MB, the initials MB-EAT, Dot com And that really stands for Mindfulness-Based Eating Awareness Training. Yes. And again, it's mb-eat.com. And that's where you can learn more about Gene's work. Uh, and um, I think, believe you're the, um, the joy of half a cookie is, yeah. is on there. And there's yeah. some uh, guided practices at, oh, the, uh, at the bottom, if you go all the way down to the bottom okay. of the website. Great. Well, for those who tuned into the Pathways show late, this is your host, Donald Altman, author of several books on mindfulness, including my newest, The Simply Mindful Coloring Book and Simply Mindful, a seven-week course and personal handbook for mindful living. Information about my courses, books, and CDs can be found at mindfulpractices.com. In a second, I'll tell you how you can rewind and replay this interview whenever you want via the internet or as a free podcast. Today, we've been visiting with author and international mindful eating expert, Jean Christeller. I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into Pathways, which is broadcast and streamed via KBOO-FM Sunday mornings at 8.30 USA Pacific Time. Podcasts of our show, which you can listen to and forward to others, are available for free at divination.com. That's spelled D-I-V-I nation.com as well as via iTunes and other free podcast servers. This is Donald Altman, along with Pathways host Paul O'Brien, reminding you to tell your friends about Pathways radio and podcasts. Thanks again to Gene, Chris Steller, and to all you listeners for tuning in and being a part of the Pathways conversation. Listening to KBOO Portland. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community